1: Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D dot com. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is Roger Stone, and we're back on The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio, where we're making AM Talk Radio great again. My guest today is former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. I must say, in a 45-year career in American politics, I have met few political figures with the skill or talent of Rod Blagojevich. I now see very clearly why they had to short-circuit his career in yet another witch hunt where he was convicted on totally fabricated, trumped up and politically motivated charges because otherwise I have very little doubt that Rob Blagojevich would have ended up as president of the United States. To say that Rob Blagojevich has lived an interesting life would be uh, an understatement to say the least. Not only was he the first Democrat elected to the office of governor in Illinois, Uh, In 26 years, he was also the first Illinois governor to be impeached, later known as Federal Prisoner Number 40892-424, after being convicted on public corruption charges having to do with the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Barack Obama when he became president. To this very day, Governor Rod Blagojevich Uh, insists on his innocence, and having reviewed his case extensively, he's absolutely right. Uh, Because what Rod Blagojevich and I, frankly, have both been through, and because we both recognize that it's very similar to what President Donald Trump is going through today, well, that's really why I invited him here uh, to think that uh, Rod Blagojevich was born to politics is to misunderstand him. He was born to a blue-collar family in Chicago. Rod shined shoes, delivered pizzas, worked in a meat packing plant when he was growing up. He also worked two summers on the Alaskan pipeline. Thanks to the sacrifice of his parents and his continued hard work, he attended and graduated from Northwestern University, went on to get a law degree from Pepperdine University. He was an assistant state's attorney for Cook County, Illinois. He was in the Illinois State House. And in 1996, he was elected to the U.S. Congress, where he served until 2003. He also clerked for the legendary Chicago alderman, Eddie Vradoliak, who I actually once actually met. Uh, In 2002, his personal version of the American Dream became true when he beat the odds to become the 40th governor of the state of Illinois. Uh, As I indicated earlier, uh, in a controversy over the vacated U.S. Senate seat of Barack Obama, Rod Blagojevich was falsely charged with trying to sell that seat. Uh, But uh, that is bogus, as you will hear, and I'm very, very proud to welcome Governor Rod Blagojevich to The Roger Stone Show. Let's say our slogan here at the show is, if you're indicted, you're invited. And Rod Blagojevich was indicted, but he is not guilty. In fact, I would say Rod Blagojevich did nothing wrong. Governor, welcome to The Roger Stone Show.
0: Thank you, Roger. And neither did you do anything wrong. Thanks for that introduction.
1: So let's uh, go through your situation quickly because I think it's appropriate that we set the table because, uh, as you say in a Politico piece this week, uh, President Donald Trump is being subjected to an entirely politically motivated uh, and bogus series uh, of uh, criminal indictments in various jurisdictions. But I've really studied your case very clearly Uh, And what's extraordinary to me is that it really surrounds, uh, centers around, I should say, tape recordings in which the government alleges that you tried to sell a vacant U.S. Senate seat, but the government neither would let you testify, nor would they actually play the tapes that uh, these uh, fabrications are alleged. To me, that seems pretty outrageous, so Walk us through the witch hunt to which you were subjected.
0: Sure, Roger. Well, let me just start out by saying to your listeners, the service you're providing to them by giving better explanations to things that people mostly see superficially based upon headlines and how the news outlets cover news Um, and what you're doing when you point out what they're doing to President Trump. And thank you for what you said about my circumstances – is, I think, the greatest constitutional crisis in American history since the Civil War. What we have now are these weaponized criminal prosecutors who've injected themselves into the political process, engaging in police state politics. They're political hitmen, and they trump up things that aren't crimes and criminalize them because they can't beat somebody in an election or they're afraid that somebody else might actually win an election. What they did to me at the AAA level to a Democrat governor all those years ago, they're doing today at the major league level to a Republican president, and leading presidential candidate, Donald Trump. And it's unbelievable that they're doing this in broad daylight, and half the country believes it. Um, And so I think what I can do with my little voice that I have and what you're certainly able to do with your radio show and some of the other uh, vehicles that you have to disseminate information is to do the best we can to try to wake up the American people to this unbelievable threat, because this goes to the very heart of our freedoms as Americans, our right as a free people, to self-government, to choose our leaders in elections that are free and fair and not contaminated or destroyed by these prosecutors who have uncontrolled power, unlimited resources, and uh, frankly, advance their careers by going after high-level elected officials and taking them down. Um, So having said that, I'll tell you that I learned how rigged the system is. I used to trust the system. I thought those prosecutors were the good guys. I have to still believe that most of them are, but I think those that are involved in the, the political process, I think they're wicked. I think they're evil, and I think they're a bigger threat to our country than any outside uh, foreign power um, because they're going to undermine freedom from the inside. And I would never give in. I fought back. They tried me not once but twice. They failed to convict me on their fake corruption charges at a first trial. And then tried me a second time, and what they were able to do was they simply moved lines, and they criminalized things that were legal. And among the things you talked about were those FBI tapes. They made tapes, and they recorded me on telephone conversations and, uh, for a period of six weeks and played only 2% of those tapes. They took the ugliest ones, where I'm using profanity and things of that sort, but they, don't, they, they took them out of context. And when we asked to be able to fill the context and actually complete the conversation— I was denied that uh, at the trials. And to this day, I can't get those tapes heard. There's a gag order on it. And when I see what they're doing to President Trump, it's all deja vu all over again. I really, truly believe they see my case as a test case. And these prosecutors today in all those different jurisdictions, all Democrats, by the way, and political operatives is what they are. What they've done is is I think they studied what what was done to me, and they're using it now against President Trump in Georgia, in Washington, D.C., in New York State. And it's uh, – my heart goes out to President Trump and his family because I know how hard this is to go through. You, Roger, you've experienced it yourself. You know how hard this is, this is to go through. But in that political article, I talk about how brave he is and how proud I am of him as a citizen of this country that Donald Trump is standing up against this and is not afraid to talk about things because when you're innocent, you get on the stand and you talk.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think that these uh, prosecutors, our uh, power is turbocharged uh, by a media which is either lazy or complicit, so the facts or even the other side of the story literally never gets aired. I remember very specifically uh, when you were going through your crucible and you saying repeatedly, play the tapes, just play the tapes. The tapes would have established context, and I think – in this particular case, uh, you can read it in several different ways. Some places they say uh, you were trying to sell a U.S. Senate seat. I've found no evidence of that. Other places say that you were maneuvering to, to save the seat for yourself. I think we call that politics. I think you were convicted of engaging in acts of politics. Uh, is that not right?
0: No, that's exactly right. You know, I'm writing a book, and the book is basically this, Roger. It's a story that starts with President-elect Obama And ends with President Trump. And in between, there's me, a former governor from Illinois, in prison, as you say, as inmate number 40892424, in a higher security prison behind the razor wire where my home was a six-foot by eight-foot prison cell living with Crips and Bloods and Soreños and Norteños and, you know, Aryan Brotherhood uh, uh, gangs and all these others, including murderers. They put me in a higher prison. And I have all kinds of stories. I think it's an interesting story. But it began because Obama sent an emissary to me on the night before his election saying that he would like me to appoint a woman by the name of Valerie Jarrett as a senator. And his emissary was a big labor boss by the name of Tom Balinoff, mutually friends with both of us, supporters of us. We were Democrats. And uh, he uh, said, "Brock wants me to know, wants me to ask you, what do you want? Can I come and see you and talk about it? So what Obama did was politics. It was wanting to make a political deal. And the next day I'm on the phone and I got done running something like eight miles. It's cold. I was stretching on the floor. I'm talking to one of my aides, and I say, you know what? Somebody suggested we should just make Obama happy and and not make any political deal. And the both of us on the phone said that would be naive and a missed opportunity. And I said, quote, unquote, this is effing golden. I'm not giving it up for nothing. Now, by itself, what does that mean? If the next sentence is I want $100 million in a Swiss bank account, you got me. That would have been criminal. But it was not that. It was there was none of that anywhere. And they arrested me as a sitting governor. You're no stranger to this either. Six o'clock in the morning with SWAT teams around my house. And I I, I take great pride in the fact that I compare myself to you a little bit, Roger. I was Roger Stone before Roger Stone. They had SWAT teams around my house. And uh, the night before I'm on those FBI tapes, I had decided what my senator was going to be and it was going to be a deal. That was going to be very good for the people of Illinois, and Rahm Emanuel had agreed to be the go-between, but I could never get those tapes played, and they arrested me before I could actually pick the senator. Now, they convicted me on the Senate seat with fake jury instructions, but eventually the appellate court reversed those charges. They said it was nothing more than routine political log rolling, and yet, as Winston Churchill said, a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on, and I've got my pants basically up around knee level, Roger, because I still can't get the. You know, that lie off of me. People still believe that, at least some do. Uh,
1: I really don't think you get enough credit for your your service as governor. You created historic access to affordable health care for the children of Illinois. Uh, You provided for free mammograms and pap smears for tens of thousands of women who had no health insurance. You established free public transportation for every senior citizen and disabled person in your state. Uh, and you, on several occasions, blocked your own party's attempts to raise taxes on the working families of Illinois. You were uh, an enormously effective and successful governor, uh, yet all of that public service gets buried. Yet there is no evidence whatsoever that Rod Blagojevich ever took a single penny uh, and put it in his pocket. There is no corruption here. As I said, you engaged in politics. Let's turn to this trial in New York. You mentioned uh, the gag order. Uh, There's a lot of information regarding what you went through that is still uh, publicly sealed so that people can't see what actually happened. There are audio tapes which have never been played in any public forum. Uh, In my case, they, uh, they issued a gag order on me so that I could not defend myself on social media My social media at that point was pretty meager, having been banned for life on Twitter uh, and Facebook uh, and and Instagram. But nonetheless, the judge insisted that if I defended myself, that I might taint the D.C. jury pool. So it didn't matter that The Washington Post and and CNN and MSNBC were crucifying me on a daily basis, accusing me of being a Russian intelligence asset. Ridiculous. Uh, uh, questioning my patriotism, uh, accusing me of uh, being involved in Russian interference uh, in the 2020 election, of which the government provided no evidence whatsoever, by the way, at trial. Uh, but now they are seeking in D.C. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent in New York to gag President Donald Trump. Now, it's interesting because I challenged the gag order in the same circuit that Donald Trump is challenging his gag order. It went to the circuit court of appeals who, in my case sat on my, uh, my uh, writ of mandamus for eight months, eight months while I was sustaining damage, eight months while I was getting the daylights kicked out of me uh, in the public uh, opinion market of DC, where I would ultimately go to trial uh, and ultimately uh, the appeals court ruled that my, my motion was not ripe for decision because I had not asked the initial judge who imposed the gag order on me to lift it, which, of course, she never would have done. Now, uh, the, in D.C., the judge has issued a gag order. The same exact s- appeals panel that essentially screwed me, Uh, has now stayed that for a decision, making it very clear that they've stayed it. They haven't made a decision. What do you think, Rod, of the efforts to gag President Donald Trump?
0: It reeks of corruption. And you just explained your experience, and I've explained part of mine with the tapes and other things that were, you know, not allowed to be heard. Um, It reeks of corruption, and it's just more evidence that this is nothing more than a police state political hit job that they're doing to President Trump. You know, you talked about how they put a gag order on you because they don't want you to have any influence over the jury pool, but they're free to go out and malign you and call you a Russian asset and lie about you, and you can't defend yourself. It's upside down. This is supposed to be a system where the individual it has the rights that protect him from a big, abusive, powerful government. And yet today in America, it's just the opposite. And it's government with all of this power and a Complicitous media—that is, as you say, they're lazy or actually partly part of the effort, and in some cases it's both. But in both cases, with the media, it's driven by rate by ratings and advertising dollars. They're not doing their jobs as true journalists to dig into the truth. Some of them do, but too many of them don't. And so you get out there and you're all by yourself, and they're telling all these lies about you, and you're powerless to do anything about it. And so you get out and you try to explain it because you have an obligation. To yourself, your family, and to the people who hired you, in case of President Trump, the voters, in my case, the voters, in your case, not only your family, but all those political associates and those political supporters of yours, you have an obligation to say, look, I didn't, you know, what the truth is, if I did it, accept responsibility. But you didn't do it, I didn't do it, Trump hasn't done anything illegal on any of these cases, and so getting up there and doing the best you can to try to talk about why you didn't do it is actually a service, a public service. The problem with it is, under the system we have, is that when you do that, if they get you in these rigged trials, which unfortunately I believe is going to be the case with President Trump because these are all Democratic courts in Democratic jurisdictions with Democratic prosecutors. If they get you, like I, they got me eventually, and by the way, they were all Republicans who did it to me, and uh, if they get you, you get punished. I got 14 years in prison, Roger, and like you say, don't no even accuse me of taking a single penny. It was all political talk. And they gave me that 14 years because I had the so-called temerity to be, quote, unquote, disrespectful to the court and the prosecutors for fighting back and asserting my innocence. And that's not how America's supposed to be. It's supposed to be just the opposite. So there's a lot wrong with our country, and it's really being manifested now with what they're doing to President Trump. And, you know, if, if you don't like Donald Trump or you don't like me, vote us out of office. But don't trump up fake charges. Uh, And criminalize things that aren't crimes, that are routine practices, in Trump's case in business or in in politics and some of the other cases against him, in your case and in my case, Trump these things up. Uh, And then what's shocking to me is that the media and all these so-called civil libertarians, like the ACLU and these other groups that are supposed to be about protecting our rights and freedoms, they just join in because they're partisan warriors rather than true Americans who are more concerned about the welfare of our country as opposed to, let's say, one or two, or you know, one political party. See, I think what these times call for now, which we're probably not going to get because the the partisan nature of our politics today, what I say in that article with Politico is I'd like to see Jerry Nadler, who was so much against what was being done to Bill Clinton in the late 1990s, join hands with Jim Jordan and actually exercise oversight over these weaponized prosecutors – because there is no check and balance on them. That's not going to happen because there's political advantage for the Democrats to do what they're doing to Trump. But it's too bad they put politics over their country and over what America is supposed to be, and that is this place where the individual has freedoms and rights and is supposed to be protected against the power of government.
1: Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio, Uh, and we're here with former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who has a very provocative piece in Politico this past week in which he criticizes the tsunami of lawfare being waged uh, against uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, Rod Blagojevich writes, this is a classic case of weaponized prosecutors, whether they're federal or even elected, and hyperpartisan prosecutions uh, against political figures. Uh, it started with what they did to me, meaning him, a Democrat governor. They've taken it to the next level now, he writes, and the Democrats are doing it to the former Republican president and leading Republican candidate for president. I think that is a fabulous uh, summation. Here's my question, uh, uh, Rod, which you and I are both active in politics in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Uh, And I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat. We went all out to beat each other in free, fair, honest, Well, in Chicago, I'm not so sure, but uh, (laughs) allegedly free, fair, and honest elections. Uh, But when did this process become so deadly? In other words, when did the political process change from just trying to defeat your partisan opponent to try to to destroy your opponent, put them in jail, and impoverish their families? When did this happen? It seems to have happened in in the flash of an eye. I think it
0: started with President Nixon and Watergate. And I think that, you know, uh, it it it, went, it it took a it was a historic effort to remove a president who, not long before his troubles with Watergate, he was he had won a landslide historic landslide victory, the largest one I think in American history in 1972, and uh, you know made some misjudgments whether he did or didn't you know participate in an effort to you know not. To cover up, and, which I'm not condoning. On, on the other hand, so much of that were routine practices back then that both sides were doing. Some of the stuff that Nixon was doing was being done to him by the Kennedys. And, you know, it's the rough and tumble part of politics. And maybe if you accidentally or you make a mis- mistake and cross a line, you know, the problem in politics is these things get inflated and they, they become powerful tools in the political process. And politics trumps everything for both political parties. And so they. The Democrats saw an opportunity with Nixon and they jumped on it. And, and back then there was no Fox news. So Nixon had no way to be able to get his side of the story out in any kind of fair way. The mainstream media has always in my lifetime tipped towards my party, the Democrat party, and they saw an opportunity to uh, destroy Nixon. And, and I think it, it really started there now. Then in the 1990s, Bill Clinton gets that, you know, terrible thing he did with a young intern which is a Me Too issue, and these so-called Me Too feminists were all about defending Clinton back then. But Clinton, what he did, as bad as that was, was not something the Constitution said was impeachable. And now the other party, the Republicans, saw that as a way to destroy him, and I was there. And one thing about me, I've been consistent about all of this. I've been against it all. You know, I was against what they did to Clinton. You know, as Growing up as a kid, I didn't like what was being done to Nixon, and uh, I certainly didn't like what they did to me. And I hate what they're doing to President Trump. And it's like anything in life. You know, when one kind of thing that you do works, then over time it's taken to a higher level and a higher level. And I would suggest that what's happening with our politics today with these uncontrolled criminal prosecutors is a cancer. And it's a cancer. It's a tumor that's been growing for 30 years. And. My hope is that, God willing, President Trump is successful in this election, and I believe he has a tremendous opportunity to win. I think there's a real opportunity to save our country by using the, using the office of the presidency, working with Congress, hopefully, to try to address these issues of these weaponized prosecutors and get them out of our politics.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I have also been consistent. No one will remember this, but I thought impeaching Bill Clinton for whatever it is he did with Monica Lewinsky was wrong. I think, frankly, he should have been impeached for selling nuclear secrets to the Chinese for illegal campaign contributions. That rises to the right. level of an impeachable offense. But his conduct with an intern in the Oval Office did not reach that level. Yet Republicans, again, I think, weaponized uh, the system of politics, the system of government to uh, try to remove Bill Clinton. It is yet another example uh, of this slippery slope we have gone down. Uh, One of the things I admire uh, about you, uh, Rod, is that you, uh, that you have remained intact. You are a man. Uh, You are very articulate uh, in professing your innocence and making the case for yourself. Uh, but when you and I were at mar lago the president's palatial mansion in Palm Beach, which they're trying now to take away from him, uh, and we were having dinner together. There is a period after dinner in which the president himself, using his laptop, actually acts as the house DJ and chooses uh, the music that is played over the loudspeaker system in the dining room. And the president delights in doing this. It's one of the ways that he relaxes. Uh, he's got great taste in music, particularly Pavarotti and rock and roll and so on. But he will send his emissary to various tables to ask you if you have any special requests. And when he came to the table where Governor Blagojevich and I were having a superb dinner, by the way, the meatloaf is unbelievable, and asked us for our choice of song, uh, it was Rod who said, uh, Jailhouse Rock, By Elvis Presley (laughs) was a a great moment. People don't know this, but one of the ways that you passed your time in prison was by fronting an Elvis tribute band. Uh, The fact that you are uh, a true uh, student of politics uh, is that you're not afraid to uh, admit that you admire uh, some of the of the skills and accomplishments uh, and the uh, and the. uh, Resilience of, of Richard Nixon, despite the fact that you and I are in different parties. Uh, I really thank God that President Donald Trump saw through the outrageousness of your conviction uh, and that after serving eight years of your sentence, your your sentence was commuted by President Donald Trump on February 18th, 2020. The president truly did the right thing. Uh, and it is just a testimony to you. Uh, And frankly, to your family, that you have remained in the arena, that you are out here uh, defending uh, uh, what is good about the American system, criticizing the direction of our politics. Here's what you wrote. This is the new politics. Talking about the weaponization and the attempts uh, to uh, proceed against Donald Trump legally. This will destroy our country. This is turning our country into a third world banana republic. It's turning us into Russia or the Soviet Union. Our new politics is police state politics. That's exactly what it is. Rodimer, give you the last word.
0: Well, thank you, Roger. You know, this book that I'm writing, I have a whole chapter on my prison band. It was called G-Rod and the Jailhouse Rockers. And that's where I learned every single word of the five verses of Jailhouse Rock. And I never realized. All those years listening to Elvis sing that song, that the drummer boy was from Illinois, and uh, which is part of the lyrics of Jailhouse Rock. Um, look, I, I, it was a long, hard journey. I never would give in. They dangled eighteen months after they failed to convict me at a first trial. I rejected that. It was the sort of thing that you knew deep down. They had so much power. You're probably gonna, you're probably gonna get your ass kicked. And uh, I had made a decision that I was gonna fight going down no matter what. And uh, I was uh, well aware of the possibility that I'd be punished for fighting back, and I eventually was. I'd still be in prison. So May of 2024, that would be 12 and a half years that I would have to do, had it not been for President Trump reaching in to rescue me, as he did on the 18th of February 2020, a Republican president doing it for a Democrat governor. It did nothing to help him at all. In fact, he took criticism by doing this for me and my family, but he saw something that was wrong. And he righted it. And see, that, I think, is the strength of Donald Trump and the appeal he has to so many Americans. is people see through the baloney of the routine, typical career politicians and really appreciate somebody who's different and who's willing to do a hard thing, even if it doesn't help him necessarily. It might cost him a little bit, but he sees a wrong and he wants to right it. And that separates him from Obama, who refused to, be, to do anything to help me. Yet he's involved in my case, and he started the whole thing. And I was the first governor, America to endorse that guy. So I look at political. What's that, Roger? uh,
1: Unfortunately, uh, Governor, we have to end it there. Rod Blagojevich, thank you so much for joining us on The Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio.